Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. I am Mitch Sherman. Scott Docterman is with me. Happy Thanksgiving week. Every Wednesday, we talk about the Big Ten West and we have arrived at Iowa, Nebraska week, the battle for the Heroes Trophy. We will get to that, but again, we need to discuss Northwestern to start this show. Not so much, Scott, what the Wildcats did Saturday in beating Wisconsin 17-7. to That is old news. You and Ari Wasserman covered it well in our Monday episode of the Big Football Show. But let's talk about what this means for the West. Is this division race over? The Cats are now 5-0 and with wins against Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, and Purdue. They can clinch a share of the division title this weekend. Should Northwestern now be making plans to face Ohio State and Indy for a college football playoff spot? Yeah, I think so. I I mean, they play Michigan State this weekend, and after seeing both teams back-to-back, I can tell you who I would pick. (laughs) The team that beat Iowa 21-20, not the one that lost 49-7. Uh, and right. then, and then they've got uh, you know they close out the year against Illinois, uh, you know a rivalry game for them, uh, but I don't think that's really much of anything. And then the only one out of the three left is the the, the one in the middle that I think could give them cha- give them problems to some extent, and that's Minnesota, because I think Minnesota still has a pretty good offense, capable of of doing some decent things against the Wildcats. But that said, even if if they lose, they have a hiccup against the the Gophers. You know they're 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 going to be seven and one. They've already beaten everybody who has an opportunity to to even catch up. So it's over. They should be scheduling right. their plans for Indianapolis. Uh, luckily for them, they don't have to worry about flights. Yeah, yeah. Nice little drive from Evanston down to Indy. I you know yeah I agree. It's not um, a nice little drive, by the way. <laughs> it's a horrific drive, <laughs> especially in December. It's a bad drive. You know, yeah. we're just we're just trying to. And maybe they would fly. You know, it's, it, this is uh, Northwestern. They're living large now. You know, hop on a plane, get down to, get down to Indy. I you know I I agree, and of course Northwestern can still can likely lose a game and still win the division based on having the tiebreakers over just about every team. So I'm. I'm putting Northwestern in ink in for December 19th against Ohio State. I'm more intrigued by whether Northwestern is going to be unbeaten going into that game. And I would would lean towards saying yes. You kind of broke down the schedule there. I'm a little bit concerned when I look at Northwestern just as a program with its history and saying to myself, okay, this is a team that you can just schedule in a win, even against a program like a team like Michigan State this year, which obviously is is not having a great season. I, I'm just I'm not to the place with Northwestern where I can just be like like I am with Ohio State. Yeah, they're gonna win this game, they're gonna win this game. I'm I'm a little bit nervous and I'm really intrigued. I wanna see it. I wanna see eight and versus eight and in that Big Ten title game. I think it would be it would be incredible for the league to have that situation and to have the possibility that Northwestern is 60 minutes away from the college football playoff. We saw this in 2015, not not as surprising of a level with Iowa, but I mean, you got to admit, it was surprising that Iowa was in the Big, 12, Big Ten championship game at 12-0 in 2015 and just about pulled it off and made it to the, to the college football playoff. Now, I'm not here to suggest that Northwestern would get that close against Ohio State. But we saw what Indiana did. In one game, 
it can happen. So what what has to happen with Northwestern to ensure that the Cats don't lay an egg in one of these last three games? Just do what they've been doing. I mean, this is as well-coached of a team as there is in the Big Ten. I would argue that Pat Fitzgerald is the best pure football coach there is, and he has a great staff. Uh, you know, last year I thought they played pretty good defense, even though their offense was putrid. I mean, you know, I think they had, what, seven touchdown passes all year. It was just a, a train wreck of an offense. And and yet they they kept themselves in games because they could stop people once in a while. And and I think when you look at these three opponents, Michigan State is just – I just don't see them – mounting much of a resistance against a very disciplined, tough team with a good mindset. And, uh, you know, they don't have any superstars on offense. I mean, they've got good receivers. They've got good running backs. They've got a quarterback who's very efficient. But the surprise to me with Northwestern this year is that, you know, Rashawn Slater is a was a first or second round draft pick at left tackle. He opts out. They had a couple other opt-outs right on the eve of the season. In fact, when we did our Big Ten preview, I uh, originally had it written down, Northwestern will be the the team to watch. The uh, yeah. And in, instead, I pulled it back to Purdue because I thought, well. Oh, I went with Northwestern. I, I, I did. So I'm <laughs> I, <laughs> I wrote it out, but then when they had two guys dropped out, like Sam uh, Sam Duff Miller and, and a defensive back, Willock, I think it was, I'm like, all right, this is going to be kind of tough for them to get on, on, you know, on the right track. No, I, I think they're the only one out of the three. Again, I, I think Northwestern can stop Illinois' run for the most part. I mean, to beat Illinois 29 to 10 last year with a very porous offense, Minnesota is the only one that can give them problems. But Minnesota is not going to be able to stop them either. Yeah, and we're going to talk about Minnesota in a minute briefly. There's some question about whether that Minnesota-Northwestern game is even going to happen next week um, and the Minnesota-Wisconsin game upcoming this week. But we will get to that. I, I do, you know, in talking about Northwestern and the preseason expectations for the Cats, part of the reason that I looked at Northwestern and said, okay, this is a team that could really step up and surprise people in 2020, it, it, it takes me back to some thoughts that I had in the summer even in the late spring, as this year started to play out with the pandemic and everything was thrown into disarray and you had teams going every which way. Some teams appeared um, completely, completely focused in wanting to to continue to work out with with whatever the restrictions were. And others were just kind of um, were just kind of scattered in in their in their mindset, at least it appeared from the outside. And my thought was, this is such an unusual situation that when we get to November, when we get to the end of the season, there are going to be teams out there in college football that are way better than what we thought they would have been sitting here now in June or July. And there are going to be teams that are way worse. But looking at the teams that are way better, I think it's going to go, the, the reasoning for that is going to come down to what they did during that time where everything was in disarray and how they got their teams in position to have these extraordinary years. And I wonder if that's what we're seeing at Northwestern right now, or if this team, this Northwestern team, adding Peyton Ramsey, changing offensive coordinators, taking that defense that was good a year ago and building on it, if this would have been a team in a normal year, in a normal 12-game season, that would be not maybe not undefeated, 
but having a great year. Do you think Northwestern, if this year had played out without a pandemic, would still be in position to win the West? Yeah, I do. I really do. And um, and the reason why is every year we question, you know, Northwestern plays Wisconsin. We seem surprised that Northwestern yeah. pulls it out. Well, they've done it all but once um, since, you know, 2000. You know, they're 6-1 and one in, in Evanston since 2000. So, therefore, it's not a surprise. You know, is it a surprise when they go to Kinnick and win? No. Pitts, Fitzgerald is 6-3 and three at Kinnick Stadium. So, even though those two teams always appear to be better than Northwestern, um, they're not. <laughs> Northwestern won those games. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I could, I could make a strong case, and everybody probably could, that Iowa – would beat Northwestern today. Iowa should have beat Northwestern when they're up 17 to nothing. They didn't. And Northwestern had the fortitude to come back, win that game. Um, Northwestern played Wisconsin, slugged it out with them, forced five turnovers, and did. And the reason why, defensively, you look, they forced three interceptions from Graham Mertz, they th- forced three interceptions from Spencer Petrus, and here we yeah. are. Um, if that doesn't happen, if they have a lesser defense, if if uh, they don't have good linebackers who are in place every play to make plays, then, yeah, they're going to lose those games. But in, And from what I've seen, this team could have traveled if it was a 12-game schedule. You know, the only caveat I have is the team I cover traditionally opens against a MAC team to get all those, you know, itches off their back. <laughs> and uh, this year it didn't, and that cost them dearly against Purdue. And I think uh, – had they been able to, to do that against uh, Northern Iowa or or somebody else that they w- might have played right off the bat, then I think you know maybe they'd only have one loss instead of two. But I'm going to give Northwestern its respect. It won it, and it's gonna it's the best team in the West. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, your mention there of Iowa and it's non-conference schedule just made me a little sad for a second that we don't get Iowa, Iowa State this year. And uh, what a game that would be. I'm hoping that uh, maybe we can get it in a bowl game. Is there a possibility to, to make that thing work? There's only one crossover between the Big 12 and Big 10, and that's in the desert. And that's like number six on the list for both teams, and and I don't think either one's going to get there. This, to me, would be the perfect year, though, if there could be some gerrymandering, messing around with the bowl schedule. Um, You know, like one, the Big 10's in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know, why wouldn't you – and maybe the Liberty Bowl is, is a Big 12 game. Why would West Virginia want to go all the way to Memphis when it could go to Charlotte? And vice versa, if it's – let's say it's Iowa, hey, would you want to play in the Liberty Bowl? And if, if Iowa State doesn't make one of the big bowls, what yeah. about Iowa State in, in Memphis and have some barbecue and beer? I think that would be that would be something. Yeah, it's obviously out the window if Iowa right. State wins the Big 12, which is a possibility, a real possibility. Right. But yeah. uh, we're a Big Ten podcast, so we'll we'll stick to that. But mm-hmm. uh, before we get to the game in Iowa City this weekend, real quick on what else is going on around the Big Ten West, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Ohio State at Illinois. That's 
11 a.m. Saturday on FS1. Should mention that that uh, Northwestern Michigan State game, 2:30 Central on ESPN2. We've got Rutgers at Purdue at three Saturday on FS1, and then Minnesota Wisconsin is scheduled for 1 p.m. Saturday on BTN. But the Gophers are dealing with some COVID problems. They canceled practice on Tuesday, and as we record this episode on Tuesday, the situation has placed that Wisconsin game in some jeopardy. And we know, Scott, that the Badgers have already missed two games against Nebraska and Purdue because of their own issues in Madison with the virus this year. So if Wisconsin misses one more, it is ineligible to win the West. I know that we've kind of already stated that may not be relevant because Northwestern is likely going to win the West. But I do want to mention that Maryland is the other team in the Big Ten that has recently dealt with some COVID problems. Its past two games were wiped out. The Terps did return to practice early this week, but if something were to resurface and Maryland couldn't play, then Indiana would have an opening Saturday. Wisconsin and Indiana, however, are scheduled to play next week. December 5th in Bloomington. So doubt that we could arrange uh, two consecutive Wisconsin-Indiana games, but it's 2020, so it's all just out there to consider. Some craziness potentially on the schedule, still on tap for Thanksgiving weekend in the Big Ten. You know, there are are a couple of games that you absolutely have to get in, and Minnesota-Wisconsin is one that Whatever it takes, you got to get in, and that and that includes crossover weekend. You say, you know what, we're not going to have Wisconsin play Michigan or Maryland or somebody like that. They're going to play Minnesota. You got to do that. They've played every year since 1907 onward. It's the most placed ri- played rivalry in college football history, or at least in the upper levels. Um, only one year since 1890 have they not played. They need to play that game, and yeah. So I, I, yeah, I agree. If 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 that has to be played on December nineteenth, you do it. I mean, you can't take you can't go on December fifth and say, hey, we're going to take Wisconsin away from Indiana with the kind of season that Indiana's having and penalize the Hoosiers because mm-hmm. you've got to get that game in against Minnesota. But um, absolutely, I mean, if things need to change on December nineteenth so that not all of those games are crossovers. Then I'm with you. Do it. You know, make it a make make a Wisconsin Minnesota happen. Then, yeah. And then at the same time, you know, you could probably say, you know, all right, Maryland and Rutgers, you play twice this year or something. You know, and this is a crazy year. We all know that. But I think that is to me that is there are very few series. There's five or six maybe that you would say you've got to get in. Michigan, Ohio State, of course. Michigan, Michigan State. I think Iowa, Minnesota. I think Minnesota, Wisconsin. I think those are games that Indiana, Purdue. You've got to get in under all any cost, and this is one. And again, it's the most played series in major college football. So, it would be really unfortunate if the Big Ten said, "Oh, you know, I guess you could just do that." If nothing else, <laughs> and I don't know if this is possible at all, I would almost rather see him say, "Okay, we're going to play a bowl game at, at the Viking Stadium um, against yeah. one another." You know, yeah, just that'd be great. Something because it already sucks that, as you mentioned, Iowa and Iowa State don't play, and this year would have been a tremendous matchup uh, between those two teams, um, especially now, not not as much as it would have been in, say, September. But Minnesota, Wisconsin, even if it's going to be a seal clubbing, you got to get it in. I want to see uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin on New Year's Day at Lambeau Field. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd take that. I, although I wonder if the Packers are, I think they're playing the Bears then. So. Put it on Saturday, whatever. Uh, yeah, um, right. Tear up the field. I don't care. <laughs> right. So, um, 
Last on the agenda, important to us in the teams that we cover in the Big Ten West, we've got Iowa-Nebraska Friday at noon on Fox. Scott, I will ask you right to start this discussion. What has gone so well for Iowa over the past three weeks? We've seen the Hawks rebound from two losses to start the season with blowout wins against Michigan State, Minnesota, and then Penn State on the road Saturday uh, things seem to be going really well, or is this a case of three opponents that have been in the dumps in consecutive weeks to play Iowa? There's a little bit of that. I would definitely say the Michigan State team that showed up didn't even really show up. I mean, I think they forgot their helmets in the locker room or something like that. But but the last two games were you saw spirited performances and Iowa was able to, to kind of take their will away. And, and I think this is, this is from what I saw in the very beginning was this is a pretty good team. It just needed to gel a little bit defensively, which was the case against Purdue. They couldn't have played a worse opponent for them off the bat because they were, you know, they were down four linebackers and they were down, you know, and that's on roster. And then they were down guys in the secondary and David Bell carved them up. And if they could have played them at a different time, I think, I do think that result might have been different. I won't say the same thing with Northwestern. But this running game is lethal. It's as good as it's been since Sean Green was running in 2008. Uh, they, they have, they've changed just a little bit, just enough of it to make it go at a level that, that they haven't done for a while. And that is they're employing more seal blocks on the backside and jet sweep motion that enables uh, – you know, second level defenders to really watch the, uh, you know, to, to force to watch the movement. Secondly, on defense, this was a team that I was really curious to see how it would perform defensively after AJ Epineza left and they had one of their starting linebackers opt out and two secondary guys on NFL rosters. And it took a week or two, but it really has coalesced. And Davion Nix and Zach Van Valkenburg and, and Chauncey Golston are playing like uh, elite defensive linemen. They, you know, they they're now you know among the better ones in sacks. I think they, yeah, they've got 16 sacks so far this year, wow. which uh, is is crazy. So they they've everything but quarterback to me. It looks like it's at a at B plus to A level right now. Yeah, I mean, some of what you're saying there, I think, is is uh, is going to send chills down the spines of uh, listeners in Nebraska, just from the uh, the matchup point of view. Um, I just went and grabbed the stats here, so I would have the numbers right. But Illinois rushed for 285 yards against Nebraska Saturday and Lincoln in that 41 to 23 victory for the Illini. Chase Brown, Mike Epstein, um, <laughs> really had their way with Nebraska. Um, and the Illinois front, uh, you know, Illinois won won the battle at the line of scrimmage, which has just been a a a really difficult thing to understand for Nebraska in the way that that line of scrimmage work has evolved throughout the year. Because against Ohio State in the season opener, Nebraska looked like it had a group up front on offense and defense that was going to more than hold its own, I would say, in the Big Ten this year. Despite that 52-17 to loss, I think if you look at that game, especially in the first 30 minutes, you didn't see a Nebraska team that was doing it um, in a fluky way. They were, they were going toe-to-toe with Ohio State in the trenches, and since then, that has not been the case. Um, Northwestern was maybe a little bit of a stalemate. The linebackers uh, for Northwestern were the strong 
point for sure. But then Penn State in a Nebraska victory and Illinois uh, dominated Nebraska up front. And this Iowa team will be as good on both lines of scrimmage as any team that Nebraska has faced at the time that Nebraska faced them. So uh, somewhat scary for Nebraska when you look at a lot of different things in this matchup. The run defense for the Huskers, you mentioned the pass rush, um, the play up front of Iowa's defensive line. Um, I look at the turnover situation and see that Iowa has intercepted 10 passes uh, this year. Nebraska <laughs> is 2-6 uh, is to six in its touchdown-to-interception ratio. So uh, whichever quarterback is out there for the Huskers, has to be very careful about an opportunistic Iowa secondary and an opportunistic Iowa defense. This thing has the has the opportunity for Iowa, I think, to get out of hand Saturday or Friday in Iowa City. Um, I know the last two games have been close in this series, field goals at the end, overtime two years ago uh, in Iowa City. But, um, you know, this one, you know, I'm not seeing it right now going down to the wire. Um, do you think – it's possible that the rivalry element, um, the fact that it is Iowa-Nebraska and the way the last two games have gone could tighten it up and perhaps make it make it uh, become more of a close game than, than what it would look like in breaking down some of the matchups? This, this is a tough one because I've tried to flip it. Because on paper and what I've seen both watching those games for Nebraska and Iowa – uh, it, it doesn't appear to be a close game. It just the the weaknesses that Nebraska has just does not sync up at all with what you know against Iowa. However, I, I've tried to okay now what are the scenarios that could make this a competitive matchup? Number one is Iowa's quarterback Spencer Petras played his best game I thought the other day, but he doesn't really elevate the team right now. Even though they've got pretty good receivers, it's not that he's doing anything special. He's he moved a couple of drives. Did a good job there, but if he has some interceptions early, and if the if you've got a short field or something to that effect, I think there's the potential for Nebraska to, to score some points. Likewise, if um, you know Iowa could get hurt a little bit by quarterback run, it happened on the first drive last week with Will Levis. Uh, it didn't afterwards. I mean, the first drive they allowed 53 rushing yards, and the, the, the last three quarters combined they allowed nine. Uh, so you know they did tighten things up, and usually early they kind of uh, bend a little bit more than they do later. Uh, but you know this defense is really good. Um, they've they've shored up any areas of weakness, and they're pretty tenacious. So you you throw that on there. The running game aspect is a, is a difference maker because, you know, I, I went back over the last five games that Iowa had beaten Nebraska, and they've outrushed them 1,221 to 618. Um, you know, so that's – Two to one. Yeah, two to one. Yards per carry, 6.2. If they have 6.2 wow. yards per carry, it's over. Um, and this one's actually a much better rushing team than those were. So I, I don't want – you know, the rivalry aspect matters because I think you're going to see a committed Nebraska team – but some people have asked me if this is if there's a potential for a letdown for Iowa, and I'm like, I don't see it because, you know, they already started 0-2. They had a lot of turmoil during the summer. It galvanized them, if nothing else, and you saw them play hard for their coach. You've seen them come out and have a just a rugged determination the last few weeks. I mean, I, I struggle to see them losing another game this year, at least until they reach that crossover challenge, probably against Indiana. So... I, I just 
I, I think this is a tough matchup. Yeah, you talk about uh, a commitment and Iowa's commitment and its dedication um, coming out of some turmoil. Interesting and, and, and just really difficult to understand some of the explanations that we heard after that, that Nebraska-Illinois game. Of course, the Huskers were coming off a win against Penn State, and after the Illinois game, there were explanations like, oh, they got content with a victory, didn't have a good week of practice, Leading up to Illinois, how is that? I just how is that possible? How does Nebraska not have a good week of practice after a big win, leading into a game where it's a two touchdown favorite, knowing that it could even its record going into this Black Friday game against Iowa? It's just it's 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 not even explainable when you, you think about the fact that this is a program in its third year under this coaching staff that has come in and, and made such an place such an emphasis on flipping the culture and, and changing the mentality within the program that Nebraska could go out in this season of all seasons when the Huskers fought to play football uh, and not have a good week of practice leading up to that Illinois game and 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 now uh, has a short week with a quarterback situation a dilemma at quarterback for Nebraska Luke McCaffrey was responsible for four of the five turnovers that Nebraska committed against the Illini and took a seat on the last drive of the game for Adrian Martinez, the already benched two-year starter. He led a touchdown drive at the end, and I would say the, um, the tea leaves are pointing toward a return to Martinez as the quarterback this week against Iowa. So um, will you see McCaffrey in a role similar to, the, to what he played against Ohio State uh, in the season opener where he came in as a running back, as a receiver. Really, he did that for the first time against Iowa. Well, the second time against Maryland and then Iowa last year at the end of the season, and Nebraska picked up where it left off in the opener this year. Um, haven't seen it since the opener. It's been one guy or the other, and Scott Frost has put himself now in a position where it's really dicey with these two quarterbacks. If you go back to Martinez and he has some struggles, Martinez last year against Iowa, you remember that game because it came down to the end and Nebraska came back. He was 10 of 18 passing for 50 yards and he ran 21 times for a net of 44 yards. So it's not like Martinez has all this recent experience going out and and, uh, slaying the dragon that is Iowa's defense. He was all right. He was good, I would say, as a true freshman two years ago in Iowa City. But um, the struggles have been real for him, and they're real for McCaffrey now coming out of this Illinois game. So quarterback situation is, uh, is a real concern for Nebraska going into this game. You know, it's interesting to watch kind of the the up and down uh, from afar. This is I'm watching it from afar, from the other side of the Missouri River, watching the up and down nature of, of Husker fans, and I totally get it. But one week, you know, I see, hey, we've turned a corner and beat Penn State, and the next week it's fire everybody, which happens sometimes here in Iowa too. But um, it's I, I I don't accept the the rhetoric that you about practice. I think practice should be a minimum good standard. And if you have a bad week of practice, it shouldn't be a bad week. You can have a bad day, but you should have at least be at, at some level. And then if you say I, we had a bad week of practice and that led into that performance, then you've got to go into soul searching mode as a coach, as a staff, as a program that I don't think a couple of mustaches are going to fix. 
you know, whether it's for the Iowa game or the rest of the season. So, man, I, you had to go with the mustaches, didn't you? <laughs> the question was asked to Cade Warner on Monday. He didn't bring up the mustache. I, I think a lot of people think Cade Warner came onto the Zoom call Monday and was like, hey, look, I'm growing a mustache. We're going to beat Iowa. Um, to, in Cade's defense, that's not what happened. He was asked about his mustache. He's had a mustache. Whatever. Yeah. I'm done talking about mustaches. That's pretty cool, though. I, I did like it. You know, at least during the summer, I thought it was really cool. It was like it, it was. was. Like, it, was. Pr- it was like Prussian military general esque. Can't wait for him to be like his dad's age and have that little gray and everything. He's gonna look like he just needs a helmet. <laughs> but you know what? What do you think as far as implications for the future? I mean, if if this game goes the yeah. way that we're leaning towards right now, um, you know, yeah, recruiting that sort of thing. I think it's really interesting to look. I think it's I think it's pertinent to talk about recruiting right now. Um, we saw Thomas Fedoni, Nebraska's hands down number one recruit in this class, tweeting in the second half of the Illinois game that he didn't know what to think. Um, this is a guy from Iowa, from Council Bluffs, Iowa, um, potentially a five star signee for Nebraska by the end of this recruiting cycle, top fifty player in the country by some accounts who is questioning what he sees when he watches Nebraska play. I'm not here to say that I think Iowa can get back in with Thomas Fedoni. I think he is um, he is pretty solid to the Huskers and has been that way since the summer. But there are other implications. Nebraska has two other commits in this 21 class from the state of Iowa and continues to push into Iowa and want to make uh, make ground in its neighboring state uh, in future classes. And then you have Iowa coming across the border, pulling Keegan Johnson, a Nebraska legacy, out of the Omaha area. And there are more players at Keegan Johnson's school, Bellevue West, who are underclassmen and are looking hard at Iowa. I would say that Micah Riley, the tight end in next year's class, is more enamored with Iowa, at least on the outside, than what he appears to be with Nebraska. And if this game tilts strongly in the favor of Iowa, with Iowa already having won five consecutive in this series, I think it will open a door for the Hawkeyes, not just in their own state to dominate Nebraska in recruiting in years ahead, but also in Nebraska, where Iowa has had quite a history of going and getting some players. For the most part, before this Keegan Johnson situation this year. Nebraska has done a good job under Scott Frost of keeping Iowa out of its backyard. That could end on Friday if Iowa goes out and and, um, and does what it appears possible is possible in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, Nebraska beat Iowa for two tight end recruits. You know, the Lincoln kid, James Carney, I mean, that was a that was one they offered. They have no tight ends in their class right now, which seems really strange to be kind of classified as tight end you and have that situation. But uh, it's, it's always, it always enters that the minds of, of young players that if you go out and let's say the score is 41 to seven this week and it's six straight for Iowa and Scott Frost came with so much promise and potential and high interest and, and okay, things are going to get back to the way they were or close to it. And it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that you could enter that, you know, when you're Micah Riley and you say, you know, I'd like to stay home, but I don't see a path to the NFL. I mean, that's happened with Iowa a lot of times with wide receivers, frankly. 
because the, they haven't had a lot of wide receivers go to the next level. They had two drafted interference. But when you see tight ends, that's a different story. And yeah, I think it could, you know, doubt. I think Iowa an Iowa offer means more than a Nebraska offer. Um, if if it's you know if your defensive line, if your offensive line, I mean, I look at Will Farniak, Iowa offered wanted him in the worst way, and didn't get him. Uh, but but they really wanted him and Alaric Jackson. They got Alaric Jackson. Alaric Jackson's probably a top 100 guy in the draft. I'm not sure Will Farniak reached his potential where he was. I think he might Will have. Will Farniak been. is not playing is not playing in his third year in the program. He's a backup yeah. offensive lineman. So yeah. Yeah. And maybe it'll come, maybe it'll come, but but he's not um, not getting on the field. Yeah, so I think they can tout all that. you know. And, and, of course, Iowa, based on what happened this summer, has had to deal with some negative recruiting, and that's, good, that's expected, mostly from the team up north, <laughs> which has right. led into some issues last week. But <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no. so before, before we move on uh, from Iowa and Nebraska, you mentioned receivers from the state of Iowa – who have left for greener pastures for a path to the NFL. One I want to mention, we have to mention this before we, we finish this discussion, is Oliver Martin from Iowa City, who left Iowa for Michigan and then transferred home to Iowa, spent last season with the Hawkeyes, and is now a walk-on at Nebraska. Saw his first uh, action on Saturday against Illinois, at least made his first catch. I think he suited up and was in uniform for the Penn State game, but got into the game and is an emerging weapon for Nebraska on the offensive side. Caught two balls from Luke McCaffrey for 30 yards, so not huge numbers, but he will be on the trip. He will be on the travel roster this weekend uh, on Friday in Iowa City, uh, a homecoming of sorts for Oliver Martin, who has caught balls in three uniforms uh, within the Big Ten Conference. I'm sure if this was a game with fans in attendance at Kinnick Stadium, uh, it would be an interesting situation for Oliver Martin. But uh, anything that you want to add? I know you've covered him and have had a lot of interactions and, and uh, more observations of Oliver Martin, certainly than I have, mm-hmm. uh, having seen him now just play uh, in, in one game with the Huskers. Oh, yeah. I mean, he graduated with my son at West High, so I have known him for a little while. And, uh, you know, a very good athlete, went to Michigan, picked Michigan over Iowa. Jim Harbaugh jumped in the swimming pool, and that's where he decided to go. Score, uh, <laughs> he started a game at Michigan as a, as a redshirt freshman and caught a touchdown pass. Uh, it wasn't for him. He really never did go into it. He's kind of a, a quiet young man. Uh, decided to transfer to Iowa. Things didn't quite work out for him. Um, he did catch a touchdown pass in his first game as a Hawkeye. So it seemed like, okay, the prodigal son is coming home, but he never really got above fifth on the depth chart here. And um, I think Charlie Jones had kind of passed him up as well. So he left, and you know it would be kind of incredible if you ask me if he catches a touchdown pass for the Huskers, especially against the Hawkeyes. That would be uh, three touchdowns in three straight years for three different Big Ten teams. And that'll be a record I doubt ever gets broken. <laughs> this is like the Noah Vedral story in reverse. Yeah. Noah Vedral, the the uh, UCF signee with Scott Frost from Wahoo, Nebraska, who came home with Frost to play for Nebraska, didn't see the opportunity for himself this offseason to be a quarterback in this system, transferred to Rutgers, and uh, is now taking Rutgers into overtime against mm. Michigan while Nebraska has struggles at quarterback. So 2022 on the schedule for Noah Vedral to play Nebraska, kind of like Oliver Martin returning 
to Iowa City this weekend. So crazy stuff all around with, uh, you know, it's a, it's a whole new world with transfers in college football, and it leads to these kind of stories. So um, finally, it was a rough week for both of us in predicting success around the Big Ten last week. I went with Wisconsin tight end Jake Ferguson. He was the Badgers' leading receiver against Northwestern, but his team scored seven points. He didn't get in the end zone. I'm not counting that as a victory You chose Purdue running back Xander Horvath, who went for 68 yards, also in a loss, although a better offensive performance for sure for the Boilers. It's a draw. Uh, This week, I thought about taking Keith Duncan, Scott, (laughs) after his uh, (laughs) effort a year ago at Memorial Stadium, but I'm going to go with Tyler Goodson. Iowa's uh, running back who went for 116 against Nebraska last year as a freshman, I think Tyler's in for a, in, in to have a big day on the ground running against the Huskers. Uh, it's been a good season for him. He's uh, as you know, he's he's um, really um, been productive for Iowa in the running game. What is your call this week? Yeah, yeah, you took mine, no doubt about it. I, you know, he's number two in t- rushing yards in the Big Ten. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, okay, who's uh, <laughs> who can I pick here? You know, because I can't pick anybody for Wisconsin or Minnesota because we don't know at this point whether they're going to play or not. So that that kind of defeats that one. I'm going to go with his battery mate, Makai Sargent, and so we're going to okay. have a head head to head here. Um, you know, he's 11th in yards. He had 100 yards last week rushing. Uh, Goodson had 75. So I, I think it could be a race to see who has the most yards and. It might be a draw, it might be close to it. So I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they both go for 100. So I'll go with uh, Makai Sargent, then maybe he'll get a goal line carrier or two and uh, more than than uh, Goodson and, and put me in the end zone and, and maybe pull me ahead for the victory. Okay. All right. Well, that is our show for the week. We've got two East versus East games on the schedule, Maryland at Indiana, as we mentioned, and then 0-5 Penn State at 2-3 and Michigan. That's uh, something we didn't expect to hear a few months ago. You can listen to the Big Football Show every day. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Review the show. Give us a five-star rating. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic for coverage from us and much, much more in college football and all around the world of sports. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the football. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.